think this is our fourth or I think our fourth, fourth lesson. We're looking at the, the man's life that God used in such a great way. And, and there are things that we can glean from. Or there are things that we can learn from and, and be strengthened and built up as believers in this hour. I want you to, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. So I said, if you want to know where we're studying week after week, it's pretty much going to be 1 Kings chapter 17, and then we'll get into chapter 18 later in the study. But we're looking at this man. To, I don't know if you've thought that much of a, about Elijah, but I, I have. His life ha, has impressed me in a good way. And the, well, I guess our, our theme verse would actually be from James from the New Testament, where the Bible says he like, Elijah was a man of like passions like as we are. So he's just a human being. He wasn't a superhero. He wasn't of a different race. He was a sinner saved by the grace of God. Amen. He believed God like Abraham, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so he trusted the Lord and walked with the Lord. But he was a man of like passions like as we are, yet without, I mean, yet, and he prayed. It says he prayed that it wouldn't rain, for, and it rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. That's pretty impressive, and that's James at the end of that, uh, that epistle he's writing, and he's talking about prayer and the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And so the whole thing about Elijah to me is we read about these uh, amazing things that God used him to do, and he's at the end of his life, he's caught up in a, a world like this angelic chariot of fire. He didn't even die on the earth. He's caught up to be with the Lord in heaven. And we're thinking almost like it's, it's almost like a mythology. You know, it's, it's like it's too, too uh, amazing to be true. And the Bible's reassuring us, no, he was a man of like passions like as we are. Okay, like we are. And so I want to learn from his life because I want to walk with the Lord, not that I have to be Elijah, God used Elijah to be Elijah, but I want to walk with the Lord in such a way that I can be used by the Lord like this man was, however God wants to use me. And he was so uh, dedicated to the Lord that nothing, uh, nothing hindered him or deterred him or got him off track from serving the Lord and doing what God called him to do. So I want to read, uh, I want to read 1 Kings 17, we'll start in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 6. And Elisha the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, remember Ahab is the king, Jezebel his wife is the queen. They're, they have basically uh, they have basically introduced and sanctioned, I guess you would say, idolatry and the worship of Baal throughout the land. They tore down altars of Jehovah, and in their place in Israel, they built altars to Baal. They had a temple built to Baal where people could gather and worship Baal. They had the priests, the true priests and prophets of God, killed and murdered. This was bad. It was, it was horrible for God's people that are the apple of his eye, the one he made a covenant with. And God's always got his man. Don't forget it. He's got one right now. I promise you, he's got... Uh, with this a little handful of believers or a man, he's got somebody waiting in the wings. He is not at a loss. He's not overwhelmed by what's going on on the earth. It hasn't gotten out of control. It has, isn't too, too far gone. When he raptures us, then the tribulation will start. But until then, he's still working and moving. 
We are the, the body of Christ. He lives in his people. Whether we be few or many, we're here. And greater is he that's in us than he is in the world. We are the head and not the tail. And we're not to live like we're defeated. And Elijah certainly didn't. He was from this rough, tough area. Of the, he's a Tishbite. Uh, is a, was an area in Israel of Gilead was the town he was from. They were shepherds. They were farmers. They were blue-collar workers. The land itself was rugged and tough, and he lived out there. And the first time we see him, he comes onto the scene, and here's this. Let's say he was a shepherd, okay? I don't know that he was a shepherd, but let's say he was. Here's this shepherd who knows God and walks with God and fears the Lord who's speaking to the king. No go-between, no... He's invited to the palace or anything like this. He comes and he says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And then he walks off. He walks off. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. So it's a little either tributary uh, of Jordan or came off of the, the Jordan River. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went out and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And so we're looking at some lives, uh, some things about this man's life that they're very simple, but they're very uh, necessary. If we're going to walk with God, some of the things we see, and I don't want to, I'm not going to go back over everything. I'm just going to mention we've looked at three things. We're going to look at a fourth tonight, three characteristics that we see in Elijah that would be true for any, any man or woman that wants to walk with the Lord solely and holy. Amen. And be dedicated to God. First of all, God's servant, which we see the, all these characteristics in Elijah's life. God's servant must be, uh, must take one step at a time. I know Eric preached last week, but two weeks ago we talked about this. One step at a time. We love it if God would show, here's what you're going to do. You know, you're going to go to school here. You're going to marry this person. You're going to have three children. You're going to do this, that, and that. And we'd love to have it all laid out before us. But God doesn't do that. He does not do that. He shows us a lot of times one step at a time, and he wants us to take that step. And just like what we read, the Lord called Elijah to go talk to the king. To meet him at that place, Jezreel, and talk to him and tell him that because of the sin and so forth, it's not going to rain on the earth years, but according to my word. That was step number one. And then what do we read in verse two? And the Lord of the Lord came unto him, saying, it was after he obeyed the first word that the word of the Lord came unto him and said, now, there's going to be a drought. There's going to be a famine. As a result, I've got you taken care of. You get by this specific brook. And you're going to drink from that water during the famine. And the, the, I've commanded, God can command ravens, amen, if he desires to. I command the ravens to bring you food evening and morning, morning and evening. And he did that. But you see how he obeyed the first step. And then the word of the Lord came to him and he received the second. And there'll be others, okay? And we're going to get into some of that tonight. So the next thing that we see, the next characteristic, of first, if you're taking notes, one step at a time. God shows us one step at a time, and we, we need to learn to live that way. If he shows us more than that, then he does. But typically, he shows us what we need to know. We would be overwhelmed if he showed us everything. 
You understand, if Stephen had known he was going to be martyred that day, he might not have gone and preached. I don't know. But he showed him, go preach. Here's what I want you to preach. And you know, he shows us one step at a time. The second thing is, Elijah went. He went to the brook. Uh, he hid out there with him and the Lord. He was fed. He was given water to drink and food to eat. And this represents like the, the hidden life where you're shut up with God. Most of the life of God's men and women that we read about so greatly are maybe in the, in the Bible or even, you know, since the Bible days, they've had a hidden life where it was them and the Lord. We could go through all of them. Moses was 40 years on the backside of the desert, you know, before God preparing him and humbling him and preparing him to be an obedient shepherd of his people, okay? Uh, Saul of Tarsus, after he got saved and became Paul, the Bible says before he did all the things that we read about Paul doing in Ephesus and Corinth and all the places he went, he, he spent three and a half years just him and the Lord in the desert being taught of the Holy Ghost. We could go over all of God's. David was a shepherd boy that nobody took note of. There, there's, but he had, the Lord, the Lord took note of him. He was with God. He was shut up with God. There's a hidden life that we have doesn't mean we're, we're a, a recluse and nobody ever sees us, but there's a hidden life we have with God that's very important, where you and the Lord have your relationship, where you are being fed by him, where you are seeking him, where you are calling him, on him, and he is working in your life before you go, go out and stand in a pulpit, before you go out and sing a song, before you go out and share the gospel with others. There is that hidden life and that is really, I would think, to be all through our lives. But certainly before God will begin to use us in some way, we need to have that life with the Lord. Uh, Elijah had this. He had it in Gilead. He says, as the Lord God liveth before whom I stand. He had a relationship with God way before what we read in, in 1 Kings 17. Amen. So now he's hidden by the brook Cherith and in the wilderness, and he's being fed and given water. He's a hidden life there, shut up with God. And then the third thing we talked about two weeks ago uh, is that the servant of God must have absolute trust in God. Absolute trust in God. And obey the Lord quickly. And I think that's something we learn. I don't think we're born doing that, but we can learn it quickly. Amen. We don't have to spend our whole life being slow to obey God. We don't have to spend our whole life being uh, doubtful of the Lord. God said, speak to Ahab. He went and spoke to Ahab. He says, go to the brook, I'll feed you there. The Lord fed him there. As God moved him, he obeyed. He was quick to obey. He didn't say, well, God, i got a few things i got to take care of first. When God called him to do something, he obeyed. The time to obey the Lord is when he's telling you to obey. Amen? The time to obey is when he's telling you, not, I'll think about it. i got some things to take care of first. No, he'll take care of those things. We need to trust God completely. And we need to obey God quickly. And the fourth thing, which we did not cover last, so this would be new, the fourth characteristic of Elijah, and it would be for any servant of God, God's servant, and this really spoke to me when I read this book, God's servants are often called to sit by drying brooks. Okay, so if you still got your Bible in 1 Kings 17, we stopped in verse 6. Look at verse 7. He's being fed the water. He's drinking from the water. Verse 7, it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. 
So I just want you to picture this. It's not a story. This is not a fairy tale. There's a, there's a drought. As a, drought. as a result of the drought, there's also famine. Uh, and however long it was, we don't really know, but it says after a while, the brook dried up. So what would it be like to be sitting there every day? You're thanking God because in the midst of all this where, where there's famine and drought, he's being supplied supernaturally. Food in the morning, food in the evening, water from the brook, all he wants. But he's actually waking up every day, no clouds in the sky, no rain. He knows it's God's plan. He knows it's God's will. But he's watching that brook that is sustaining him dry up. He has to sit there by it. God hadn't told him to go anywhere else yet. He's sitting there and he's watching it. And he's watching it dry up. And a little bit less the next day and a little bit less the next day. You could probably measure it, you know, the muddy area. And then it's getting to the, the water. And now it's a little trickle. And it says after a while the brook dried up. But he's still there. He hasn't received another word from the Lord yet. And the word of the Lord, verse 8, came unto him saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. You'll notice this. I think this, at least the second time we've read, the word of the Lord came to him. He didn't have to go out seeking for the, the word of the Lord. He didn't have to run to some, oh, look what the Lord's doing in, in, in California. Look what the Lord's doing at this other church. We've got to run over there and try to find out. The word of the Lord came to him. He was in God's will. He was obedient to the Lord. He had a relationship with God. He stood in his presence. He was faithful to God. He wasn't perfect, but he, him, he was with the Lord. He was on the Lord's side, okay? And he walked with the Lord, and the word of the Lord came to him when the word of the Lord was supposed to come to him. And he told him to get up. But I just want to go back to the drying brook for a little while. Um, it hadn't rained. There's no dew. There's no sprinkle. And each day he's watching it dry up. And you have to wonder, because he was a human being like we are, and what you would be like and what I would be like, you have to say, what did he think when every day he noticed it was a little little more dried up, a little less water, a little less water, and finally it came where there was nothing but mud. There was no water there anymore. What was he thinking as the time was passing? It was days, weeks, and on that day when it dried up, did he think that God had forgotten him? Sometimes we do. Lord, don't forget I'm over here. We think that God has forgotten us. We think that maybe God has failed us. Um, remember, he's in the will of God. He's where he, God told him to be, and now he's there in the brook stride up. So we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us all that. I'm just saying as a human being what we might think. I'm not putting thoughts into Elijah's head. I'm simply saying, did he begin to, to think God had forgotten him? Number two, did he begin to make plans for himself? And I think that's even a bigger one. When we see things drying up, our tendency is, I, I, got, I have to come up with a plan. I need a backup plan. I need, I need to do something. And when we come to a place of absolute dependency upon the Lord and trusting God, we need to wait. And that's not an easy thing to do. We need to learn to wait. I'm not talking about if you're out of God's will. I'm not talking about if you're careless with your walk with the Lord and kind of in and out. I'm talking about when you know you, you're walking with the Lord and you're, you're in his will and you see a brook drying up. What kind of brooks might be drying up in our, in our lives? Well, we might, 
our health might be drying up. You know, our finances might be drying up. And we're working, we're, we're praying every day, not just bless my money, we're praying, Lord, is there something you're trying to show me? And, you know, we're, we're doing the last thing we know the Lord told us to do, and we, we see it drying up. We see finances drying up. We see uh, we used to have a lot of friends, and now, you know, you, you look around and what's happened over the years, where are all my friends you know, as we go on with the Lord, sometimes we go on with the Lord and they're not sometimes. And we say, it's drying up my, all my relationships maybe. Not certainly not the Lord uh, abandoning us, but we see things drying up. You know what David said in Psalm 62, 5? I'll just read it. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. But I can tell you this, at times in your life, it's not every day of our life, there are times in our life God calls us to sit by a drying brook. The ministry's drying up. Uh, something's drying up, and, and yet you haven't, you haven't heard on the next, the word of the Lord came to me saying to do such and such. We, we're called to that. John the Baptist, think about John the Baptist. He, before Jesus came public on the scene to the Jordan River and began his public ministry after being baptized by John. Before that, John was the one that people were following. Even Peter and, and Andrew and so forth, they were disciples of John the Baptist. And there comes a point, and John wasn't jealous about it or anything like that, but there did come a point where the spotlight that was on John out in the wilderness, right? And people are coming to hear him preach, and he's declaring, uh, the coming of the Lord and so forth and baptizing people and they're all coming to hear John. And then a short, short while later, after Jesus comes up out of the water and the Holy Ghost descends upon him, he's driven into the wilderness, right? And he spends 40 days fasting and tempted by the devil. He comes back and it's, it's on at that time. When he comes back from that, being tempted by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days, and the angels ministered to him and fed him, he came back and he began to minister. And people said, nobody ever spoke like this man spoke. He's in the synagogue healing the man with a withered hand the day he comes back. I mean, it's, it's taken place. And the spotlight, rightly so, this is the one John was talking about. But you have to see his, and then we don't know, read a whole lot about John. He's, he's thrown into prison, Right. And uh, he ends up being beheaded. We know that. He's martyred. But you can see that he, he was called by the Lord to that. There was that time when he was, he was in this focus of God's plan, and everybody knew it. And then this, the focus was taken off. And he's still a person. He's still there. He's still living. I'm not saying feel sorry for him. I'm simply saying we're called sometimes by the Lord to sit by a drying brook, and that is his will. Like I said, our health, our strength, uh, God used to use me all over here, and now I'm just being used here. It doesn't mean he can't use you all over again some point in the future. Sometimes, okay, we, like I said, we see friendships but this uh, that are drying up, and this it, it's hard to do, but it's necessary. Sometimes God sees it as necessary. And the question for us would be, why does God let the brook dry up? Why did he let that real brook Cherith that was supplying his man, why did he let it dry up? He wants to teach us this. This is something we need to hang on to. He wants us to teach, it, 
teach us to trust in him and not simply his gift. The brook was a gift. The brook wasn't God. The, the food that the ravens brought evening and morning were supplied by the Lord. They were gifts from God to sustain him. He wants us to learn to trust him, not simply the gifts that he gives. And that's important. He needs to drain us of that or drain us of the, the self. And, you know, the, 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 uh, this, the apostles, it was 10 days they were waiting before the day of Pentecost. They had to be empty before they were filled. They were crying out to God. He had already promised them the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they were waiting in the upper room praying. They had to be emptied out before they were filled. God wants to loosen uh, our roots, so to speak, sometimes because he wants to move us. And so we're sitting there by a dry and brook, and he's kind of loosening some of these roots down here that we've been so steadfast in this spot. Uh, however long he was by the brook Cherith, he was staying there, okay? And God wanted to loosen those, so he's watching the brook dry up. And he wants to, to again, cause us to trust in him more than his blessings. He's going to bless us. He doesn't have to just bless by the brook Cherith. He can bless through a widow woman over here in Zarephath if he wants to, okay? And so uh, God wants us to know that all sufficiency is with him. It, it, it is within him, and he's able to, to give it to us, and it's not diminished because a brook's drying up. The sufficiency of God to take care of his man that he called doesn't diminish because the water diminished. He's able to take care of them. Jesus, Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This is the Holy Ghost, and this comes through a relationship with God. That brook dried up. That was physical water, and it was going to be gone. God's going to sustain him by the Holy Ghost. God's going to take care of him. And that's a brook that never dries. And God wants us to learn that the Cherith might fail, but our Savior never fails. And so, honestly, y'all, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not easy to sit there and watch it day by day dry up. But he wants us to, to look up to him. He's not failing us. And he's not going to fail us. And so just a couple more thoughts on this when, when God calls him to Zarephath we read it after verse 7 it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land and the word of the Lord came unto him saying arise get thee to Zarephath which belongeth to Zidon and dwell there behold I have commanded earlier he commanded ravens right here he's commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee so remember the characteristics we talked about? One of them is that God's people, God's servants are going to, to uh, trust the Lord completely and absolutely, and they're going to obey quickly. The word came to him. So verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. We'll just stop there. When he came, there was the widow woman he met. It was just like God said. It was just like at the brook Cherith, someone to take care of him. And I want to talk about this just in, in closing tonight, but I am not 
uh, the horticulturist, but I understand just from reading that some particular plants and and I guess it'd be like famous show kind of plants, the reason that they do so well and are so healthy and excel above other ones is because they're constantly transplanted. You think that would hurt them, but certain types of plants, they're, they're here for a while, then they, they're plucked up in the, in the horticulturist, the vineyard worker, whoever he is, picks it up and moves it to another place. And it's constantly moving it. They know how long it's to stay in a particular place, and it causes them to grow and flourish. And I would say that we see this, God was moving. There's no real reason other than it was God. Why couldn't he just stay it by that brook till, the, till it was over and then he went and called down fire from heaven at the end of three and a half years? Because God was teaching him. He was doing the work in Elijah's life. No, I'm uprooting you from here and I'm going to move you over here. And there's going to be some other things that takes place there that are going to make the man the man that he was. There are some other places, things that take place with a widow woman that didn't take place here. And whether it's comfortable to move or probably not comfortable to move a lot of times, God uproots us and he moves us where we're supposed to, where he wants us to be. Could be from a job, could be from uh, uh, just, I don't know, just however a ministry, he, he wants to move us, make sure that we're in his will. We don't just jump ship, okay? But we're in his will and we feel the brook dried up, the word of the Lord comes to us, he transplants us. It's for our good. He's still with us. He was with us here, and he's with us here. And if he moves us 10 other times, he'll be with us there. But this is what we have to learn. And so uh, there's an interesting verse, and I'll just read it to you from Jeremiah 48, 11. It says, Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and hath, he hath settled on his lees, L-E-E-S, his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. And I'm thinking, what is, what is that really talking about? It, it wasn't good, by the way. He's saying that this Moab has just been at ease, and they haven't been transplanted or moved. They haven't been dug up and, and learned, moved to some new area and stretched and grown. When it says that they settled on their lees, I had to study this a little bit. It's interesting that um, when grapes are going to be taken from the raw grape to the grape juice, they, they put them in the vat or whatever vessel that they're in and crush them and so forth, and then there becomes a separation, right? The juice and all is at the top, and all what's called the lees, that would be all the things, the, the skin, the shell, what the seeds, whatever might be in it, goes to the bottom. And after a long time in this vessel, the, the person who's getting the grape juice will come and draw off the good stuff, leave the lees, in that vessel, and they'll transplant this to another vessel, and they'll repeat the process, and then they'll draw it off of that one, and they do it several times. They're moving it from vessel to vessel to vessel to where what's finally left is going to be pure. It's going to be drinkable. It's going to be delicious. It's going to be pretty to look at, and all the lees, that's what you don't want, okay? That's what's settled at the bottom. It says Moab, Moab is settled on their lees, they have not been emptied from vessel to vessel. And we see this man, Elijah, being moved from vessel to vessel, from, from Gilead to speaking to Ahab to Brook Cherith to Zarephath. Why all the moving? Because God's doing a work in him. And this is the way our potters sees 
uh, fit to make the vessel and so forth. And, and so we, this is how he's making us that, that character, that deep down character in our hearts, Christ-likeness. That's what he's wanting to do. And he doesn't do it when we're at ease like Moab. He does it when we're put into strenuous situations and a strain. And this is new for me. And I never thought I could do this. And so forth. All these things we, we start mentioning. It's God stirring up the nest and kicking us out of the nest to fly a little bit. I've got something for you new. Trust me. Well, God, I have to trust you because I can't do this. And he says, trust me. And he's faithful. And he comes through and we grow. And our character and our Christ-likeness grows. This is part of what he, he's doing in our life. He was once, Elijah, as I said, was once home. And then he was moved from place to place. I'm going to close with this. But uh, all this was done that he wouldn't settle on his lease, so to speak. And God does that in our lives as well. And we would... Honestly, y'all, I don't think there's a person in here that wouldn't settle down if it weren't for the Lord kind of forcing us and moving us. He moves us beyond what we're comfortable with sometimes, probably most of the times, into relationships, into ministry, into public speaking. I mean, I've said this a thousand times, y'all. I would have never, never in my life chosen to speak publicly when I was at LSU, my first semester, um, I look at the, the schedule. All freshmen have to take pretty much the same classes. I see freshman speech. I'm like, you're kidding me. This is the worst. I would have rather trick, you know, trigonometry, anything, than get up there and speak. But I said, I'm getting this. I wasn't really serving the Lord at the time, but I said, I'm getting this over first semester. I could have taken it. Next semester, third or fourth semester, I'm getting it over with. I'm getting it over with, and I got it over with, and it was miserable. And I was red as a beat, and I would give a three-minute impromptu speech. Three minutes. And it was, it, was, it was miserable for me. I'd have rather done anything besides that. So I know that I didn't call myself to, to preach. The Lord pushes us, and he stretches us, and he moves us beyond what we're comfortable with, that no flesh should glory in his presence, right? And so he stirs us up, and he was doing this with Elijah. Otherwise, Elijah would have stayed put. If God didn't move him, he would have stayed put. And if God doesn't move you, I'm not saying move to another state. If God does, then so be it. I'm saying if he doesn't move you on uh, to something that is beyond you, then you're not going to go there. If you're just left to your own, you're going to get comfortable and settle on your lees. But that's not where the moral character is built up. That's not where the purity comes to our life. It is through being transplanted. We're grounded in Christ. We're never uprooted from Christ. But we're transplanted from this walk of life to that walk of life. Or to something new and to something different. Amen. And that cloud, we talk about it all the time. The cloud in the, in the desert moved. And when the cloud moved... The, the Israelites were to move. They were to be where the cloud was. So Elijah's they were without the Lord, but he was with he was in new places, things that were unfamiliar to him, and so forth. The, the whole purpose is God wants to believe wants us to trust him and believe he's working for our good. Amen. 
the circumstances of your life, I could, and I'm closing with this, D, you can come. Circumstances of our lives, I don't think any of us would say, this is how I would have written it up. I don't think there's one person that would say, from the day I was born till now, if it was just like a fairy tale and write it how I want it, this is not how it would be. I'm not saying you're miserable. I'm not saying your life is bad. I'm saying God has brought us through rocky roads. He's brought us through ups and downs. He's moved us. He's moved us in this circle of believers, in this circle of friends. He's moved us to different things. And we would have never chosen those circumstances for ourselves. Maybe some we would have. But look, you know, before it happened, we would have not chosen those things for ourselves. But they did happen. And one day, I don't think it's time to really sit back and reflect so much, but I think one day we'll look back and we'll say, oh, thank you, Lord. This is what you were doing here. I didn't want to leave that group of friends. I didn't want to do that. And, and I didn't understand it at the time. But looking back, I see what you were doing. And it's always going to be good. He's not doing anything bad in your life. He's, he's moving us from glory to glory to make us the most beautiful Christian, the most pure the most useful to himself. He's working that in our lives. Don't, don't despise it, okay? Don't despise that the Lord stirs you the nest and pushes you out sometimes. He's going to be with us, amen? He's going to take care of us. Y'all stand with me tonight. I know we've got some folks out of town. We've got some folks going out of town. But I'm so glad that y'all are here tonight. The altar's open. Let's just come before the Lord. Whatever he's showing you, whatever he's teaching you, I know he's showing me a lot from these messages. God, we just come before you. Y'all, the altar's open. Come meet with the Lord. Let him meet with you.